0: This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. It's a pleasure to welcome Wayne Lennig to the program. How are you doing, Wayne? I'm doing fine, Bob. Wayne Lennig is an archaeologist and historian. He's the Fort Plain Museum's vice chairman of the Board of Trustees. He's had a long interest in the interplay of Native Americans, Europeans, and African cultures in the Mohawk Valley, He has a bachelor's degree from the University at Buffalo, an alumnus of the Cooperstown graduate program. And we're going to talk with him today about a a talk he recently gave, the subject being Joseph Brant, well-known Mohawk uh, Indian chief, uh, specifically Joseph Brant's 1780 raid on Canajoharie. this coming uh, in the closing years of the American Revolution. Let me uh, start out by uh, with, with geography, if you will. Um, when, when Joseph Brandt raided Kennedy Harry, is it the village and town we think of as Kennedy Harry or was it someplace else?
1: Um, it was someplace else, Bob, and that's a, that's a very astute question that you ask uh, because it's caused a lot of confusion. It even confused the 19th century historians like Stims and Campbell uh, who had kind of forgotten, uh, well, actually they weren't born early enough, but the people that they talked to had forgotten uh, what had actually transpired in the 18th century. Uh, just a quick, kind of a quick thing on Canada Harry. Uh, Canada is a Mohawk Indian word, uh, and it relates to uh, one of their villages. Uh, the village that first was called Kanijahari, uh they they had three cantons: uh, the Turtle Clan on the east, the Bear Clan in the middle, and the Wolf Clan on the west. And the middle clan uh, was originally the Kanajaheri Castle, called the Kanajaheri Castle in records. My theory on that is that uh, it was called the Kanajaheri Castle because uh, it canodiac means the pot uh that's always boiling or uh it mm-hmm. implies that it's a kettle uh that has food in it over mm-hmm. the fire and uh i think you know that word has been used by the mohawks or that phrase has been used by the mohawks to talk about uh diplomacy and where they would invite people uh to uh, have a treaty hold a treaty or to trade with them and they would always use that term um uh the pot will be boiling. Uh, In other words, you're welcome Mm -hmm. to come Mm -hmm. and eat and and be, you know, a part of us at this village. So I believe that what that village of Kanadjahari in the middle of the Mohawk country was all about was it was their diplomatic center, Mm -hmm. much like Onondaga is the diplomatic center uh, for the Five Nations, and that was at Syracuse in the middle of the Five Nations, uh, so, kind of analogous to that, mm-hmm. so that that word we first see used in the late uh the late seventeenth century the sixteen nineties uh, so and it continues in use on up to the uh, to the time of the revolutionary war, but obviously it wasn 't one place uh, the village moved about, mm-hmm. uh, and archaeologists have tried to trace those uh movements uh I have a paper that I'm working on that looks at that aspect as well. Uh but we know that there were at least four or five different Canada and they kind of wander around between uh what what is now known as Little Nose or uh, you know the Little mm-hmm. Nose and Big mm-hmm. Nose area uh and Little Falls. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a long distance. So at the time that the uh settlers first came the Canada Castle was on Sand Hill in Fort Plain. And uh that's where they what they knew of is Canada So when a, a white settlement grew up on Sand Hill, uh, they just kept that name. And uh, so the Canajoharie of the Revolutionary War was what we know of as Sand Hill. Uh, that was a long explanation, but I hope it made some sense. Okay.
0: And let me just uh, make sure I get it: the, the raid uh, in September, seventeen eighty, was on Sand Hill in Fort Plain, or around that well, area. Well, it was
1: that was the epicenter, but it actually uh, it actually was from on the south side of the river, uh, in what we know of today as the town of Mm Minden. I should also point out that the town of Minden wasn't in existence then. Uh, That was in a larger district called Kanadjahari, so uh, it was also natural to uh, uh, extend the term uh, to areas to the west. about six miles along the river and about four miles uh, deep into the interior uh, was the area that was raided. So it wasn't some little area; it was hmm. a, a large area.
0: And this raid did a lot of damage. Can you uh, account, you know, give us an accounting of that?
1: Yeah, uh, at least we know that at least uh, well a hundred buildings uh, were burned. Uh, I'm looking right now at uh, some of my notes uh we know that 100 buildings were burned and uh, at least 50 of them uh were separate farms so uh, we're talking about the destruction of about 50 farms uh and all of the cattle was taken away uh, 300 uh, cattle were driven off uh, 200 horses uh all the chickens the pigs everything was taken so basically uh and and the houses were burned and the fields what what would burn was burned the problem uh with that was that uh well, the problem it was a good it was a break for the Americans because uh they had this raid they planned this raid in august uh so uh, you know the crops aren't uh, are still pretty green in early August, mm-hmm. and they had a problem getting the crops to to burn so uh, the Americans saved quite a bit of the wheat and other crops that were were there.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, and this raid conducted uh, under uh, under the leadership, if you will, of Joseph Brant, Mohawk Indian chief, who at the time was a, I think, was called a captain by the uh, by the British. I, th- this was, oh, an example of the kind of thing that was going on in the Mohawk Valley in those years. Uh, leading up to the end of the Revolutionary War. The major armies had moved on, but both sides uh, kind of raided each other. And I've often uh, wondered about that, or what was the thinking behind that, and well, what I found le- leapt, leaped out from your the description of the talk that uh, you recently gave to the American Revolution Roundtable that, for example, this raid on what was called what uh, was actually part of a strategy uh, because the British and their Indian allies knew that the war probably was drawing to a close and they were looking for a better position at the bargaining table?
1: Um. You know, I didn't write that blurb, so I, so I, I can't really totally uh, uh, follow uh, that line of thinking. But uh, I like to think about it this way. Uh, the war, the Revolutionary War, the actual fighting in the Mohawk Valley, didn't actually start until Oriskany, 1777. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that year, in 1777, outside of the Battle of Oriskany, There wasn't anything, uh, there weren't any shots fired here in in the valley. Um, However, the following year is the year uh, that the Indians, the Seneca especially, felt that they took heavy casualties at Oriskany. Compared to the Americans, they didn't, but they were madder than hornets, so to speak. And uh, in 1778, uh, we see the Cherry Valley uh, raid, and we see... uh, Big destruction at uh, Herkimer, which is they called German Flats at the time, uh, and uh, from that the Americans decided in 1779 uh, that they would retaliate and try to stop these little raids that were going on uh, by taking the taking their show on the road to the Indian country, mm-hmm. uh, and they put together an army of uh, several thousand. Uh, and they marched uh, down the Susquehanna and up the Tioga River uh, into western, the wilderness of western New York, uh, and they destroyed over 40 Seneca and Cayuga villages. Uh, we don't think about that, but mm-hmm. uh, that happened the year before, mm-hmm. 1780. Now, for my money, the war's just getting going here, and 1780 is the the real apex of the war in the Mohawk Valley, because in that year... The Indians started to take uh, revenge for the Clinton-Sullivan expedition and the destruction of forty of their villages. So, as early as March of 1780, they started small-scale raids, and that was combined with some larger raids that Sir Sir John Johnson was involved in. Uh, His cousin Guy Johnson, of course, ran the Indian Department out of out of Niagara, Fort Niagara. john himself was in uh montreal uh and he you know ran the indian and loyalist uh invasion from montreal but between those uh two uh pincers so to speak uh there were countless raids in 1780 Uh, it was the, the biggest destructive year in the mohawk valley and in fact what prompted this whole thing, Bob, is that I'm writing a book called The Year of the Burning. Everybody knows about uh, Johnson's raid uh, when they, they've dubbed the, the burning of the valleys in the fall of 1780. But that was just the culmination of an entire year of destruction here in the valley. And uh, what it was aimed at doing, basically, I think, uh, they didn't see any end in the war. Uh, there was no sight, no end in sight in 1780. Uh, So I think what the what the strategy was from Canada, from uh, General Haldeman, who ran the British effort in Canada, was uh, to try to clean out the Mohawk Valley uh, and the upper Hudson Valley so that they had free access into Schenectady and Albany, because they thought if they could begin, you know, raiding Schenectady and Albany, that was That was where the uh, commercial and uh, government interests were, and they could really uh, have an effect on the government of New York and perhaps take the whole state. Mm. Uh, So that was still the issue uh, in 1780. Uh, In 1781, uh, the war still wasn't over. Uh, 1782, uh, the war still wasn't over here in the Mohawk Valley. And in fact, in 1783 after the preliminary peace treaty had been signed uh colonel marinus willett who was at that point in charge of the western new york defense and was stationed at fort plain uh, put together with uh, secretly with general washington uh, an attempt to take fort oswego from the british Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, they attempted to take fort oswego uh, on a forced march of about uh, five or six hundred american troops Uh, went through a blinding snowstorm and freezing cold all the way up to Oswego uh, in February and uh, failed to take the fort. They didn't even attack the fort because uh, they got there too late and uh, their their position was uh, given away before they... Had a chance to surprise anybody, and Washington's orders were not to take it if uh, if they were discovered ahead of time. So mm-hmm. they turned around and came back, but that was a major effort, and that was in 1783. So uh, the war wasn't over.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking with Wayne Lenig about the raid on Canajoharie conducted uh, during the American Revolution and other topics. We'll be back with him in just a moment on the Historians Podcast. We hope you can uh, support the Historians podcast through our GoFundMe campaign. We really appreciate all the donations that have been uh, coming in, $25, $50 uh, donations to the cause to cover the technical expenses, other production expenses of the podcast. Here's how you donate. Uh, Go to gofundme.com forward slash historians2017. And uh, follow the prompts, and it's uh, easy to donate to the historians that way. If you'd rather donate by mail, make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore. Send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302 archaeologist and historian Wayne Lenig is with us uh, we're discussing uh, Joseph Brandt's 1780 raid on uh, Kennedy Harry or raid on the uh, Mohawk Valley which occurred uh, during the American Revolution um, well let me ask you uh, directly about this uh, you know idea of uh, the what maybe was there a grand plan here was it the hope or this, was it the strategy of the of the British and their uh, Iroquois allies that uh, that when the fighting was finally over, that they could have a larger piece of what we call New York State uh, than they ended up with? In other words, that their uh, border uh, would be somewhere uh, in the Mohawk Valley as opposed to on the, in the Saint Lawrence area.
1: Yeah, I would say. Uh... The direct answer to that question, Bob, is that until seventeen eighty three uh when when the peace was declared uh they really hadn't given up on, on through through all of seventeen eighty one and eighty two they hadn't given up on taking all of new york uh the war wasn't over for them uh they had not they did not see it as uh you know it's easy for us to see uh Everything after Yorktown is, oh, well, it's all winding down. But in fact, that's not the way they saw it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The war was still up in the air, and and it wasn't at all. There were still, you know, thousands and thousands of British troops uh, available in Canada, and the king had not decided yet that he wasn't going to send another army over here to replace replace the the group that had been uh, taken at Yorktown. So, you know, the war was not over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would I would say that the question that you ask is doesn't make doesn't really make a lot of sense.
0: Okay, let me ask you about uh, Joseph Brandt. I did uh, just a little bit of a reading uh, about him. I, I mentioned to you I was uh, uh, took a bus trip. The Schenectady Historical Society sponsored down to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the guide was showing us early American or American paintings uh, by artists such as Gilbert Stewart. And, and lo and behold, there's Gilbert That's Stewart's Joseph. portrait of uh, of Joseph Brandt hanging at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. J- Joseph Brandt was an interesting figure. I mean, he was um, very well-educated. He traveled to England uh, several times, uh, apparently. And I, I did see, and I must admit this, comes in the Wikipedia uh, account of his life, that after the war finally was over and he visited Philadelphia, which was the seat of the U.S. government, uh, the U.S. government offered, in a sense, to buy him out. They said they'd give him money and a reservation if he would uh, come back to uh, the American side uh, from uh, the Canadians.
1: Actually, the focus of of my talk was was the raid. And before we I, I've kind of wandered away from that and our question the questions have been broader than that. But I did I, I don't wanna change the subject but I, I do wanna focus a little bit on the raid itself and tell you what was unique about this raid. One of the things that I find most fascinating about this raid is the individuals that were involved. And of course Joseph Brandt was one of those individuals. He had lived uh at uh what is now or close to what is now Mindenville uh Most of his life, and uh he's now he's braiding his own backyard, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh because this area in the town of Minden is uh up on the highlands and and down into uh fort plain uh is next door to where his home was actually uh so that's one of the stories for sure, you know what 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 did he feel when he was? And I don't think you know we really have a clue because he didn't write an awful lot about his own feelings. But uh, what did he feel about uh, burning down all of his neighbors' homes? Mm-hmm. Uh, that had to be that had to be something on his mind. The other story that I think is fascinating is uh, the story of John Abiel, who lived. Uh, just at the foot of Sand Hill, between Sand Hill and where the site of, of Fort Plain was, uh, there's a big, uh, if you ever brought, drive through there now, there's a big uh, square uh, 1880s-type brick house there that would be on the same site probably that uh, that Abiel's house was on. But John Abiel was the grandson of a former mayor of, a uh, Dutch mayor of Albany uh, and, and fur trader. And in the 1730s and 1740s, John lived with the Seneca Indians in Western New York, and he took an Indian woman, a Seneca woman, as as his mate, as his wife, mm-hmm. lived with her in the 1730s, and they had a child. Uh, and it as it so happens that child grew up to be a very famous Seneca chieftain named Cornplanter. Mm. He also went by his father's name, John Abiel Jr. Right. Uh, corn planter was on the raid with brant he was like the second person in command uh, under brant and they burned his father's house they captured his father uh, and he eventually let his father go but that whole story to me is just a fascinating story and a a fascinating thing that happened during this raid Uh, next door to next door to where John Abele lived lived the Leip family, uh, Johannes Leip, who uh, owned the land that Fort Plain was on during the Revolution. And Leip's wife uh, was a bowman, and her two brothers were in Butler's Rangers. Uh, and the story that Lossing tells, uh, actually David Leip must have told him this story, uh, David Life would have been uh, the son of Johannes and, and Merilise, mm-hmm. says that his uh, mother was hiding all their valuables when uh, when the Indians actually came to their house. And she got caught making a trip with the valuables, and they, she thought, oh boy, the, the gig is up. But she mm-hmm. kept her mind, and and she immediately asked them about uh, the welfare of her two brothers, Uh the two Bowman brothers, uh, who the Indians happened to know, and uh, because of that, they spared her dwelling. Uh, That's kind of an interesting story. Uh, Another interesting story is uh, uh, Maria Sitz, who was, uh, I forget exactly how old she was, I think uh, probably, I don't know, about four or five years old, and she was captured uh, out in the area near Hallsville, which in those days was known as—oh, she was seven. I'm looking at my mm-hmm. notes now. Okay. She, the, in, in those days, it was known as de Geisenberg or Goose Hill. Uh, and uh, she was taken by a group of Indians uh, to be adopted, basically. They, they didn't give hand her over to the British. They took her to their home, and they happened to be Mississauga Indians who lived in Toronto, uh, so uh, she got adopted into a family of Mississauga Indians in Toronto. And to this day, people in Toronto know her as the first white woman in Toronto. She married one of the Indians, and I, uh, I don't know whether they had offspring or not. But later on, uh, one of the Loyalist families, the Nellis family, who had lived here in the valley, uh, Lieutenant Henry Nellis uh, liberated her, so-called, he said he liberated her, mm-hmm. in 1787 when she was 15 from the Indians. Uh, and Henry brought her home, and uh, she became the paramour of his son, William. So I don't know how much liberating he actually did, <laughs> <see. right>? okay. <laughs> or, or or whether there were ulterior motives.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: But these, these little... Human stories, I find uh, the most interesting sure. part the uh, the raid within the raid.
0: Okay, and that was was that a common practice among uh, the Iroquois? I mean, they when they took prisoners, the prisoners were adopted; they were made part of, uh, let's say, Mohawk uh, the Mohawk culture.
1: They could be. Uh, there actually, the idea that when uh, when someone was lost in a Mohawk family, particularly to war. uh, The idea was uh, to replace that person, and uh, they could do it one of several ways. And In the 17th century, we see accounts of uh, sometimes they would bring a prisoner home, the warriors might bring somebody home that they thought should be a replacement, but of course the women had the say over who the replacement was. And if the women did not approve of that person, that person might be tortured to death. Uh, but if they did approve of that person, they could, be, uh, they could be accepted into the family and adopted and assume the actual identity of the, the lost person. Mm-hmm.
0: After this um, raid in 1780, uh, w- which is in what we think of as the Fort Plain area, uh, the canadier harry raid it was was called what what happened what happened to the raiding party after after that
1: what happened to the to the uh, group of indians that yes yeah okay uh well let me preface it by saying that before the raid they actually burned the last Oneida town. Remember that the Oneidas Mm -hmm. were allied to the Americans during the Revolutionary War. It was the war that really split the Confederacy, Uh, and the Oneidas were a thorn in the side of the rest of the Six Nations because they sat at the edge of the American settlements, and their warriors patrolled their property, their land and they would report any war parties that they saw going through their land uh, to the commandant at Fort Schuyler or Fort Stanwyck. Uh And, of course, the Americans would know that they were coming. So that was a thorn in the side of the Iroquois, the rest of the Iroquois. And they had warned them many times, and eventually uh, that was the primary thrust of this raid, was to burn Holly, uh, which was their the the main Oneida town, and they did that, uh, and most of the Oneidas uh, escaped, uh, went to Fort Stanwix, and eventually uh, made their way down into this area. Uh, but um, while they were at Fort Stanwix, uh, the Americans were alarmed, and General Van Rensselaer, who was in charge of the of the state troops and and militia in the Mohawk Valley, uh, the same as Herkimer had several years before, gathered up all of the men that he could find, uh, about five or six hundred, and marched to Fort Stanwix to try to uh, make sure that they were safe from the Indians. Well, that's when Brant uh, came around the back way and came into Canada, Jihari, knowing uh, that most of the Americans would probably be on their way to Fort Stanwix, So mm-hmm. he knew he had a pretty clear uh, path ahead of him. Um, so that's that's how that group got to Harry. Now, after the raid, they were very fortunate in that before Van Rensselaer had left uh, for Fort Stanwix, he had sent word to the Albany County militia people, uh, and a group from Schenectady and Albany County were on their way up and had, by the time Brant's people hit, uh, Canada the town of Minden, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were on the river flats at what is now the village of Canajoharie, right about where uh, Richardson Candy is. Uh, And they were encamped and having lunch there when they saw the smoke and saw the houses burning. So um, in that sense, the Americans got a break. They had 350 militia from Albany and Schenectady within spitting distance of of the Indians when the raid began. And they did manage to... uh, pushed them back uh, from the area around Sand Hill. uh, And they didn't come any further east than that. So that was a a break. Uh, But after the day was over and after the Indians uh, kind of went off back into the forest, uh, the next day they were down at uh, what is now Morris in Otsego County. And they uh, made a plan to split up into several different groups. uh, And the same uh, the same Indians basically who had been involved in the raid uh, on Canada Fort Plain uh, split up into I think five different groups uh, and struck at Schoharie. They struck at uh, Bowman's Kill, which is a settlement around, um, well, intermediate between Canada mm-hmm. Harry and, um, between modern Canada and Cherry Valley, out uh, Salt Springville in that area. And they also uh, struck, uh, two groups struck at German flats on both the north and south side. So, you know, uh, they continued raiding, basically, right. <laughs> but on a smaller scale.
0: Well, Wayne Lenning, I thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, what is the name of the book that you're working on again? Uh,
1: the name of the book I'm working on is called uh, Tran Count" or The... Well, the working title is uh, The Year of the Burning, 1780.
0: Okay, The Year of the Burning, 1780. Wayne Lenig, an archaeologist uh, and historian, uh, joining us on The Historian's Podcast. Again, thank you very much, Wayne.
1: Thank you, Bob.
0: This has been The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.